This is what we've been talking about, matters of the mind. And I tried to make the case, which I think uh, is fairly receivable to most of you, that uh, this thing, this marvelous mind which the Lord has given us, is the source of everything else, emotions, behaviors. And so if we want to get to the root or the source of all that flows, uh, we want to do work with our minds. And so... I want to develop the theme a little more tonight in a slightly different direction, as you shall see. Uh, first, let me tell you about somebody named Paul. He was an apostle, a very special, as you know, very special representative of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, not everyone's an apostle, though we're all called to be disciples. So he had this special commission from God to do a special foundational work in the church, not the least of which was to write part of the New Testament. And he had quite an investment, the sacrificial investment, a vital ministry to a tough people group in a place called Corinth, uh, which is in modern-day Turk, uh, excuse me, Greece. Some here have visited Corinth. It's a real place. It was a troubled church, for sure, on many fronts, not the least of which was this. Um, it was infiltrated by folks who were really darkened in their understanding. So as we think about minds, uh, their minds were, were dark and confused. And so they imparted to the poor folk in the church at Corinth all manner of uh, misunderstandings, uh, deceptive uh, statements, deliberate untruths about God, about, about life, and in particular about God's man, the Apostle Paul. They defamed his reputation. They accused him falsely in front of the people in his absence. They, they misrepresented him. And it wasn't just about Paul. You, you see, to detract from one of God's specially called and commissioned messengers is essentially uh, to detract from God himself. And so this is a serious infraction. And uh, Paul was confronted with the necessity of having to do something about it, for these false teachers were not rightly minded about things. So what, what does he do? What would you do? What would you, what would you recommend? I mean, I suppose there are, there are uh, strategies available to all of us. He could, uh, he could get angry. He could, uh, he could express his hostilities to them, uh, face to face or in written form. He could, um, he could debate with them. He could argue. He could, I don't know what. He could rally support as over uh, against them. I guess he could even become embittered. Uh, I suppose he had the option even to quit, to just say, who needs this? This is, this is just not right. It's not fair. That's it. I've had it. All of these things. And, and I suppose there's a place for some of these from time to time. But I think Paul realized those are all stratagems which are available to everybody. But I wonder if he thought, what about those strategies which are uniquely his, uniquely ours, as Christians? Do we not have special oh, weaponry, if you will, uh, designed for situations like this? When you want to change people's minds... It really is a battle for people's minds, you know. How do you do it? Let's see how Paul did it. So he tells us what his approach was, specifically in 2 Corinthians, his second letter to this troubled church. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, I just want to direct our attention tonight to two verses in it, three verses in it, if you will. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 the background of this text being what I just shared with you. Uh, would you take a gander uh, beginning at verse 3? Paul's words in response to people whose minds were really darkened in their understanding. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, he says, For though we walk in the flesh... What does he mean? Sometimes the word flesh is used of sin. You have to be careful of context. That's not the meaning here. He is saying, I live here. <laughs> I'm a human. I am flesh and blood like everyone else. Though an apostle, though a 
Christian of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm still here. My feet are planted on planet Earth. Uh, I've not been raptured like anybody else. I'm affected just as anyone is here by the kind of confrontation, deception, false accusation from the confused thinking, from the false teaching, from the cluttered minds of these ne'er-do-wells, in this case, who have infiltrated the church. I am here. I'm not in an altered state of consciousness. I'm not a disembodied spirit. I can't deny the reality of that which affects me as a flesh and blood human being. I walk in the flesh, but we, he, we do not war according to the flesh. So he said, I run into the same kinds of things that distress me, uh, that distress you and everybody else. It's very distressing to to become uh, uh, privy to the thinking of some people who are so darkened in their understanding, they deny the very creator of life, living here in the world which he has provided, benefiting from the rain and from the sun, uh, which he so graciously uh, provides for everyone, yet denying his existence. He said, I live here with these high-minded people whose speculative thoughts uh, uh, even go so far as to deny the existence of the Creator. I walk here just like you, according to the flesh. But I don't war according to the flesh. There is debate. There is hostility. I could demean them. I could show disrespect. I could put them down. I could rally support. I could petition. I could boycott. I could do all these things. There's a place for some of them. But he said, but I don't want my primary weaponry in the war I find myself embroiled in to be merely those weapons which are common to humankind. I want to lay hold of uncommon weaponry. That is to say, those things which are mine by divine enablement and grace. I want a war not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. He said, I'm a human just like you, confronted by the really bad thinking of other humans. And I know you can relate to this. Good night, good night, good night. People in positions of high authority are making decisions left and right, which we think, most of us who think, are based on very, very fallacious thinking, unwise thinking, darkened in their understanding. Don't think it's new. It's not new. Paul says, I too walk according to the... But I'm not going to stoop so low as to simply respond to this in the ways available to everyone when I can respond in the ways specifically made available to me, says he, as a Christian. And so he doesn't want to respond to human bad thinking using merely human weaponry. And so he says this in verse 4. The weapons of our warfare. Here we're speaking of Christians. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Do you see the words there? Look, weapons, warfare, destruction, fortresses. These are all military terms. Is Paul suggesting he, we, are in a war? Is he suggesting we're in a battle? You bet your bippy that's what he's... Yeah! We are embroiled in a battle. Yeah, but it's not a battle to be fought with human weaponry. Swords and guns and cannons and wit and uh, college degrees and oratorical skills and uh, bitterness and uh, cynicism and uh, 
all the rest. No, no. There may be a place for some of that. But he's saying, no, 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 no. The war we are embroiled in is of a spiritual character because it's a battle, don't you see, for people's minds. And therefore, human weaponry won't cut the mustard. It's not going to work. Knock yourself out. It won't work. And so he wants to make recourse to spiritual weapons, which he says are divinely, not humanly, divinely powerful, and to such extent that they can result in the tearing down of fortresses. This is weaponry, says he, bequeathed to him and us, all Christians, by the commander-in-chief who is the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, why should I make use of those stratagems and resources available to everyone when I can take up the weapons uniquely mine as a Christian. The kind of weapons which God promises are so powerful that they can tear down towers of defense. Weapons so strong uh, that they can destroy strongholds and they can also obliterate fortresses. Well, of course, you know he's not speaking of brick and mortar. It's a metaphor, a military metaphor. You know what he's speaking of? Defenses in a resistant person's mind. He's talking about strong holds of thinking against truth. He's talking about fortresses that militate against the gospel message penetrating one's mind taking root therein and changing that person's entire belief system. He said, we have weaponry designed to tear down all of this uh, defensive structure which is in human thinking and which is contrary to the truth of Almighty God. So he's talking about fortresses in the thinking of people, which leads them to decisions and perspectives and postures that are clearly destructive, particularly if they're in positions of leadership that are not in the best interests of the nation allotted to their charge or the nations. And so he said, don't worry about it. Be careful. We have weaponry Uh, to deal with it, strongholds, that is, in one's mind. Paul's day, as you know, was characterized by all kinds of uh, terribly wrong thinking. Human philosophies in his Greco-Roman culture abounded, as you know. And the best of what Greek philosophers uh, had to offer Uh, fell far short of the glorious truth and thinking which is to be found in the mind of Christ. So it's not new in our day uh, that we're a little distressed by the thinking of those in positions of influence on all fronts. Don't you think that was the case in Paul's day as well? He said, go to war. He said, we are in a campaign, don't you know it? against minds filled with false thinking, a distorted thinking, really anti-God thinking. And so Paul's day uh, left him as distressed perhaps as we are in this day, as confused and uh, with the potential to become irritated and moody and cynical and pessimistic and downright unattractive to a watching world. And he said, I'm not going to go that way. No, no, no. Instead, I'm going to have an offense. I'm going to take up the weapons, the spiritual weapons, which uh, by divine authority are mine, which has bequeathed to me, and which, by the way, are powerful enough for the destruction of fortresses. So with divinely empowered weapons, Paul tells us this in verse 5. He said, we are destroying speculations. So you see, the military metaphor is really about thoughts, a fortress of wrong thinking. He said, we are destroying, with these divinely empowered weapons, we are destroying speculations. And not only that, every lofty thing raised up 
against the knowledge of God. What's more, we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. You realize, of course, that apart from Christ, people's minds are in darkness. Do you agree with that? Sure. Do you remember what yours was like prior to knowing Christ? Darkness. Speculations. High and lofty thoughts. Speculative thoughts about God, about eternity, about life, about salvation, about how to live. <laughs> Just speculative, philosophical, lofty in the sense that they were arrogant because you raised up your thinking as over against the declared truth of Almighty God. You couldn't even receive his truth. You were so filled with darkness, and so was I. Something rather stupendously miraculous had to happen even for us uh, to be affected by the light of truth, to enlighten our minds, you say. And so the world is filled with people who suffer from the same malady. We ought not look down on them, but for the grace of God, <gasps> there go you and I. Darkened in our understanding. Don't you see when one doesn't have the mind of Christ, one does not have truth. One's mind is marvelous. The creation as it is, is filled with absolute confusion and darkness and speculation. And you know what God does? He tries to enlighten. He wants to enlighten minds. And while he's doing that, you know what Satan does? He wants to darken minds. So there you have the real battle. It's not politics. Don't don't see the symptom without um, uh, missing the cause. You have a cosmic battle between Satan and Savior. Jesus is the truth. Wants to fill minds with truth. Satan is the father of lies. No, and he would rather have minds filled with. Wants to incubate in people's minds. Lies, speculations. Every lofty thought raised up against the knowledge of God. So, so I ask you this, um, what are we going to do about all this? Well, I suppose one option is, in essence, to give up. Sadly, I, I guess I'm seeing more and more Christians do this very thing. Just shut down, there's nothing to do. Just read the newspaper, watch the news, and get more depressed, get more angry, get more irritated. I don't know. Just give up, just let it go. I suppose that's one option. Another thing to do is just to fall into despair. But just lose hope entirely. It's lost. It's over. There is no hope. Okay, I suppose you could do that. You can become quite cynical. I guess I've never seen so much cynicism in the church of Jesus Christ. I expect it out there. It's a bit of a surprise when it's in here. I don't get it. If he's on the throne, if he's sovereign, cynicism? Cynicism gives a sense of empowerment, I suppose, but it's the same kind of empowerment the cynical world has. That, 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 that's not one of the divinely powerful strategies, cynicism, that Almighty God has given to me. I suppose you can become cynical if you want, bitter. You can become gloomy. You can become absolutely gloomy. Oh, my. Gloomy. When we're held on to by the God of eternal life. Gloomy. When he told us the end from the beginning. Gloomy. When we know there's going to be victory in Jesus. Gloomy. When he has cast all our sins behind his back, gloomy when we can access him at any time, gloomy when he'll never let us go, gloomy when he's omniscient, therefore nothing takes him by surprise, gloomy when he could use anybody in any position of authority to accomplish his will and purposes, even against their will and purposes. Gloomy. All right, I guess you could be if you want to. I just don't get it. And unattractive. I guess you could become unattractive, you know. It's really hard to be living proof of a loving God when you look like a dried up prune. <laughs> I just don't... I just... I just... I just... 
I just don't get it. I didn't say be unaffected by all that's going on. Please don't misunderstand. Just don't stay affected by it too long. Once you're affected, Paul was a human. Don't you see he walked according to the flesh, flesh and blood. He had emotions. He was distressed. He was affected by the atmosphere of the day. He was affected by Rome's leaders. Good night. You think he was thrilled about who was on the throne then? I'm not saying be unaffected as if you, as if you can. I'm just saying don't stay with it too long. Once that happens, now go to war against it. Take up the weapons. Go to battle. You, 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 you see, we've been given weapons. And they're so strong that they can destroy fortresses and speculations. Every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. So what you could do is make use. I can make use. You can make use, as Paul did, of God-given, God-empowered spiritual weapons designed to do two things. And you want to do both of these things uh, to stay with the military metaphor, the first thing you want to do is to destroy the enemy's defenses. But you're not done once you destroy the enemy's offenses. Then you want to take the enemy captive. And that's what you got. Verse 4 talks about our spiritual weaponry strong enough to tear down fortresses. But that's not good enough. You don't want to just down, tear down the fortresses of wrong thinking in someone's mind. Phase 2 of a military campaign is to take the enemy, now that you've torn down their defenses, captive. So you don't want to just tear down strongholds in someone's thinking. You want God's mind, truth, to permeate their thinking, to replay. You want all of their thoughts to be taken captive to the obedience of Christ. You want their mind to be yielded, submitted to the mind of Christ, you see? And we have the weapons with which it could take place. We have the weapons by which we can tear down Satan-inspired strongholds of thinking. And then what's more... We can help people take thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. So then, perhaps I've kept you in suspense long enough. Enough of that. What are these weapons? Well, I assure you, they don't seem like much from the world's point of view. But they are. Here's what the mind of Christ has revealed to us through Paul. They are divinely powerful. For what purpose? For the destruction of fortresses. Believe it. These are powerful weapons. Here's one. Prayer. Prayer. I'm not just saying, oh God, thank you for the food which we are about to partake of. Bless it to the nourishment of our bodies. That is very good. But you don't want to just stop there. I'm talking about the kind of prayer which implores Almighty God to, in His power and grace, tear down strongholds of wrong thinking, keeping people from surrendering their minds, their hearts, their souls, their wills, and their strength to Him. I want to make a statement to you and I'm thinking about this, so maybe I'm missing the whole point, so I don't have much scripture to back this up. It's just a thought. We could just share thoughts once in a while. If you don't like this one, just tell me. I've just been wondering, is it possible for anyone to come to Christ who hasn't been prayed for by someone else first? I, I don't know. I'm just wondering. Is it? See, here's the deal. First um, Corinthians chapter two, verse 14, for instance, a natural man does not accept the things of the spirit of God. So you can be like really fantastic. You, you can know like nine million Bible verses. You can be your major communicator of truth. But that tells me a natural man ain't buying it. A natural man does not does not accept the things of the spirit. Why? For they are foolishness to him. And he cannot. So first he does not. And now we're told he cannot understand them. Why? Because they're spiritually appraised. And so I want to know how anyone gets saved. If someone hadn't prayed for him beforehand. 
When I was in the military, before ground troops go in, it's very foolish to send ground troops in first if you have the option of bombing the target area before they get there. So we would send in long-range bombers. Drop everything you got. Soften up the turf. Neutralize the enemy before the troops go in. You know what prayer is? It's the equivalent of long-range bombing. I think before the ground troop, the carrier of the gospel, gets a hearing in an open and receptive mind, someone must have prayed. I remember being in a military barracks a million years ago, and uh, a guy shared with me truth, gospel truth. And I received it, just like that. Jewish guy from New York. The guy who shared with me wasn't Billy Graham. He was just some military guy like me. He tells me, let me tell you about Jesus. Okay. Let me tell you what he did for you. Cool. You want to accept him? Yeah. September 5th, 1973. I'm different now. I got to tell you, I don't know how that happened. I, ha- I don't know how that, how did that happen? That for 23 years, I kept uh, the gospel and the Savior and my sin, acknowledging it, at bay. And all of a sudden, some guy, no seminary, no nothing, just a guy in the military like me, wearing the same goofy army uniform as I was, shares with me the, the gospel and boom, it took root in my life and I've been a new creation ever since. I've never looked back. I'm not taking credit. That's the point. I don't know how this happened. It occurred to me, someone must have prayed for me. Someone must have softened up this stiff-necked Jewish heart, this hardened, uncircumcised heart, so that it could be a soft receiving ground for the transforming power of the gospel message. But I don't know who that person is. Because sometimes you're not praying for a person by name. Maybe someone was praying for a people group. Oh, God, you have privileged Jewish people with much privilege. They haven't done much with it. They're lost. Darkened in their understanding. Oh God, would you save more Jewish people? And maybe God said, yeah, how about that little one right there? (laughs) Do you ever get a burden to pray for a people group? The people in Argentina, the people in Jamaica, the people in the Middle East, where our uh, missions pastor had just come back from. Hispanic people, black people, white people, older people, younger people, kids, drug-addicted people, poor people, people in Haiti. You ever get a burden? People in India, people in your neighborhood. You ever get a people in jail? And you pray. You may not know anyone but him. Oh, God, you send, send somebody. Send a gospel-carrying messenger empowered to do damage to the darkness in the name of Christ. You're the long-range bombers. Today our executive pastor uh, um, allowed us to participate in a survey and one was kind of uh, convicting. Answered the question, we, it, it was on a scale about your own prayer life. Ugh. That was bad. We were to rate ourselves. How, how we doing? <laughs> Ugh. I pray before every meal. I do it so often, most of the time, I don't even think about what I'm saying. This is spiritual warfare prayer. We're not a peacetime army. Oh, don't misunderstand. The weapons of our warfare are not anger, are not disrespect, are not cynicism, are not disdain. We're not to look ugly. Not at all. We are to pray. It is a weapon. We can invoke Almighty God to go before a gospel carrier, softening hearts so that when the gospel is heard, it gets a hearing. It is, it is received. And then there's a second weapon 
You know about it. First is prayer to God, and the second is the word from God. The word from God. Oh, my goodness. Do you know how powerful it is? Do you know through the uh, word of God, God created the universe? here's, Here's how he did it. He didn't sweat. He didn't labor. He didn't perspire. He didn't read a blueprint. You know what he did? He went like this. He said, and let there be light. Light, I command you to be. And there was light. That's how powerful the word of God. And in the power of the word of God, the light giver can shed his life light where there's darkness. In the darkness of darkened minds. How did you get saved otherwise? How did I? Darkened in our, in our understanding. The word of God is very, very God created the universe through it. He can create new life in a person born anew uh, by hearing the gospel message and responding to it. But his word can be invalidated. You know this? It can be invalidated by the communicator who communicates it. So if the communicator is communicating God's word, but living a lifestyle inconsistent with it, it's kind of invalidated in the mind of the hearer. You know what I mean? We do so much damage, don't we, to the cause of Christ. Take it easy. He loves us nonetheless. He's risking his very reputation on us. Now, I'm not sure he gets such a good deal all the time. But this is what he does. I beseech you, my fellow uh, Christians, as I try to exhort myself, don't let the Lord Jesus down. I represent him well. I don't represent America. It's far better. I represent the King of Kings, don't you? Come on. Don't let him down. So, so if we preach the word but don't live by the word, it's kind of the, the hearer has a hard time Making sense of that. And if we preach the word, but and it's true, but it's not in a loving manner. But then it becomes a club, don't you see? And so that kind of that kind of nullifies its effect as as well. Angry preachers, angry but preacher, I don't mean guys who stand I mean everyone who communicate. Your anger or hypocrisy. I mean that that doesn't get us a hearing uh, for the powerful uh, word of God. So prayer and truth spoken in love. That's our spiritual weaponry. And so the world is full of people held captive by speculations and philosophies and thinking absolutely diametrically opposed to Almighty God. We cannot make a truce with such thinking. That's something I notice Christians, some are doing. Oh, it's not good. You cannot make a truce with evolution. You can play all the games you want to with it. You cannot make a truce with evolution. You cannot make a truce with abortion. You can play all the games you want to, word games and this. You cannot make a truce with abortion. You cannot make a truce with so-called mercy killing, euthanasia. No, 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 no. Look here. You cannot make a truce... um, with the unashamed uh, practice of homosexuality. You cannot make a truce with it. You must take a stand. You must speak. The the truth must always be spoken in love. Please don't misunderstand. But you cannot play some games. You cannot say, well, if it's okay for this, as long as they're too consenting, you you can't talk yourself out of the battle for people's minds. You cannot make a... Truth. You cannot make a truce with infidelity. No, 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 no. Everyone is not doing it. See, I know some people in high places who are. All you got to do is watch the news every day. Somebody's uh, exercising the option. They do not have from God to exercise. Holy matrimony. Let the marriage bed be undefiled. I cannot make a truce with any other approach but the sanctity of one man irreversibly bound to one woman. I want to in my human head. I want to make a truce because so many people are are are, are uh, uh, modifying the theme. But I cannot make a truce 
with that kind of thing. Look here. I cannot make a truce with alternative pathways to God. When Jesus said, I am the way, I want to make a truce in my heart. I want to think of one billion devout, many Muslim people. I want to make a truce with uh, my own people group. Do you mean to tell me some, look me in the eye? We who have such rich heritage and tradition and are as devoted to our faith system as you are to yours, do you mean to tell us that merely because we have not accepted Christ as Savior, as the only way, we are destined to eternal separation from Him? I want to say, well, 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 well I'm not sure. Let me give it some thought. Let me think. I can't raise the white flag. I have to say, no, we must go to war for your mind. Because Jesus said he is the only way and the truth. And so you see, I can't make a truce with all this thinking. I have to instead do something else. I have to go to war. I have to take up the weaponry, which is designed to destroy speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. I've got to go to battle against all this thinking, but I can't do it by taking up fleshly weapons of cynicism and despair and anger and disdain and disrespect and isolationism and hatred and cynicism. I can't do that. Those are things available to anyone, but not for us. Instead, I have to invoke my, your, God-given spiritual weaponry, which is powerful enough for the destruction of fortresses. I know the realities of the day of distressing. Are dis- we all walk according to the flesh. We're all here. But they're no more distressing than they were in Paul's day. After being distressed, fine, welcome to it. Move past it. Don't stay with it. We're, we're digging ourselves such deep holes. We're such experts on what the enemy is thinking. But we're not going to war against the enemy. So I want to show you how to do it in the next few moments. It's easy. Nothing tricky about it. Let me just illustrate. Recently, I was watching House Hunters. I like it. It's people hunting for houses. What's What could possibly be offensive about that? You got people looking for houses, you get three options, you choose the option, you move in. Cool. Welcome to the real world. The partnerships of those looking for houses are interesting to me. Every once in a while, you get a married couple. (laughs) Consisting of opposite gender partners. And increasingly, you get variations on the theme. This happened in a a great episode I saw the other night. Two same-gender people, two men, life partners, um, looking to relocate. I liked them. I would like to be friends with them. They had attractive personalities. They just wanted to live. Not beasts. So I went to war. Oh, God. It isn't right, because you said so. And I know what they're doing. They're trying to meet very legitimate needs in a very illegitimate way. It won't work. They're darkened in their understanding. Oh, God, they're captives. How could they be set free? Lord Jesus, would you mercifully do so? Oh, God, would you tear down fortresses of wrong thinking? Father, would you make them miserable in the lifestyle? Not as an end in itself, but only that in the poverty of it all. They may seek the riches which you have for them. Lord, as you have had mercy on me, would you have mercy on them? They are ones for whom you died. Oh, God, would you win the battle for their souls and for their thought life? And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You see? 
I found myself getting distressed and a little upset. Doggone it, said I. This is primetime TV. I shouldn't have to be exposed to this. I'm not watching HBO 2 o'clock in the doggone morning. It's 3 p.m. Kids are home from school. But then you've got to move past that. You see? Calm down. Take up the weapons. Pray. You understand what I'm saying? Here's another illustration. I'm coming to church today. I'm in the car. I'm at a stoplight and a lady in the cross section in another vehicle passes by and she had a head covering, which uh, clearly, uh, I think, suggested to me that she was a Muslim lady. So thoughts go through my mind right away. I just got to be honest with you. Good night. What terror cell is she a member of? I'm a human. I walk according to the flesh. I wish I could impress you with more virtue, but I don't have it. Um, so I'm going through all these gyrations and stuff like that, and probably headed to the mosque where you're going to talk about uh, what a lousy country we are as you ride down the road, not in your camel, but in your big new suburban. I'm thinking about all this stuff. What could I tell you? And then I go, oh, God, thank you for that lady being here. I don't think I could get to her country of origin, but you brought her here. Oh, God, would you please soften up her heart, open her mind, and send somebody to her while she's here in Pearland, Texas could carry the gospel message. You love her. Oh God, what I'm seeing as an obstacle is a wonderful redemptive opportunity. Thank you for forgiving me. What a bad attitude I have. Oh God, you died for her. She's got to know it. Lord Jesus, I pray you would create in her fertile ground for the gospel message and then send someone bold and loving to share it with her that she might be converted. And Tell other Muslim people as well. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You see what I just did? You can, you can be at the red light and you could, pardon the expression, stew all you want. Or else you can get with the program and remember what God's about. He's not about claiming turf. He's about claiming souls. So you pray. Read an article yesterday concerning Tiger Woods. It's a tragedy. He said in the article his detachment from Buddhism had been behind his fall from grace. He said, and I quote, I quit meditating. I quit being a Buddhist and my life changed upside down. First, I got angry with Tiger Woods. How dare you do this kind of a thing, such deception. You are a role model. That's part of the territory. Too bad. Look what you did to your wife. Look what you did. You know, all those kinds of things. All right, fine. But move past that real quick. And then say, oh, God. I pray for Tiger Woods. Oh, God. As you've had mercy on me, why not him? Oh, God, in this terrible pain and degradation, sure, sure, self-imposed. But in it all, would you please find this to be an opportune time to cause his heart to be crushed, his soul to hunger for righteousness? He is simply a man who, like me, is by nature without restraint. Why is he different than me? No difference. Oh, God, be the difference maker in his life. Would you please? You love him. I wish you knew. Buddha died and is buried. But you died and rose from the dead. Tiger Woods, no one can have new life from a dead leader. Oh, God, mercifully send someone into his life carrying the gospel message, which is your power unto even his salvation. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you see? I'll tell you why we don't do it. Because it's easier to just take up worldly weaponry. That's disgusting. I can't believe. Here's a gun. That's just what everyone's doing. Aren't we supposed to be different? I got other weapons. And they work. And they work. I'm almost done. Maybe. 
I read an article yesterday. See, you, you can let the news prompt your prayer life. That's what you do. Or you can let the news prompt your depression, your anger, your disdain. But you can pray the news. So this is a news article. It's about a new movement called the New Atheism uh, by a scientist whose last name is Dennett. And it's growing quite a following amongst intellectuals and, what a surprise, the media. And he suggests that this whole idea of belief in God uh, was created by people during a primitive evolutionary time in human history. But now that we're no longer primitive people, we're sophisticated, we long, no longer have a need for belief in God. You like that? See, see that's called wrong thinking. That's a stronghold in this brilliant scientist's mind, which in spite of IQ has left him darkened his understanding. So pray with me for this guy, Dennett. Oh, God. You're bigger. You're more powerful. You're greater. His very capacities are given by you. Lord Jesus, God of mercy, God of grace, Savior. Would you be his Savior? Why not? Why mine and not his? Oh, God, I pray you would tear down by your mercy and my these terrible strongholds of fallacious thinking. Instead, I pray, even perhaps from a fellow scientist who he respects, a fellow scientist who knows you in truth, I pray maybe the gospel would go to him and change him so radically so he gives up on the new atheism, which is really just the old deni- satanic denial of your existence. And I pray instead that he becomes a very vocal and prominent spokesman for you, the creator, originator of life now and eternally. Oh, God, I pray in advance of those going to him, would you send emissaries carrying the gospel to him, which is the power uh, your power for salvation. And would you, oh God, beforehand so soften up his thinking, remove his blinders, bind the evil one who has darkened him as an understanding that he might be saved. In this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you got it? So this is just illustrations. Those are just illustrations. I was in the army. We stink at peace. We just do war real good. The peacetime army is the most efficient organization on earth. We don't know what to do. You just hang out. And a dormant, passive, defensive body of Christ is the most inefficient organization on earth. We're taking it lying down in front of the TV instead of saying, okay, that's a hill we need to take, Lord Jesus. That person needs to be radically saved. That one. The Bible even says, pray for all people, for kings and all who are in authority. Why? So that we might lead a tranquil life in all godliness and dignity. Pray for the president of this country and all others. Pray for prime ministers. Pray for kings and queens. Pray, oh God, open each mind as you have mine, that they might have the mind of Christ. And if not... Oh, God, I pray you would so overwhelm and control this person that in spite of this person's darkened understanding, you being sovereign and having the ultimate veto power would still so work through this person with your godly restraint that we are still permitted by law to lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. We can petition, we can boycott, we can campaign, we can vote. Please don't misunderstand. It's not a matter of uh, not doing those things. It is a matter of just doing those things. <laughs> those are just things anyone with a cause, anyone on a crusade can do. What about our unique spiritual weaponry, which God says are powerful enough 
for the destruction of every speculation and lofty thought raised up against the knowledge of God. You know what's going to happen one day if we do this? We're going to heaven. And somebody's going to tap us on the shoulder. And someone's going to say, hey, thank you very much. You prayed for my people group. Or you prayed for me by name. And I responded. And you had something to do with it. I can't wait for the time when I can say to the person or the people who got me to be open to the gospel. Oh, man. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. We got plenty of work to do. And it pays off. And I am tired of just finding out what's going on by reading the stinking newspaper. When I can be in a campaign, have an offense, not have a defensive posture, be salt and light, and take territory in people's minds for the glory of Almighty God. Don't you want to do that? You know what's so beautiful about this? You can do it at home. You don't have to be healthy physically. You don't have to have any spiritual gifts. You can watch the news and you can go to war. You'll win it. How do I know it? Because these weapons are divinely empowered for the tearing down of fortresses. Now the world doesn't believe it. Okay. It's a shame when we don't. So Lord Jesus Christ, would you fill us with joy and peace and satisfaction in knowing there is something we could do. Lots of stuff as Christian citizens. Sure. Vote. Campaign, replace, boycott, protest. Absolutely, absolutely. But not to the exclusion of these things which are uniquely ours. In in fact, I think more of this than all the rest. Because these things have the guarantee that they are divinely empowered for the destruction of fortresses in people's minds. Thank you, Lord Jesus. How could it be any other way? That you, the commander-in-chief, who's already told us of victory in the end, would not equip us to do this kind of battling for people's souls with victory. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.